Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Doing good? I'm a little tangled up here. Doesn't happen. There we go. I had to free myself. Some of y'all need to get free this morning. But anyway, yeah, like I said, hey man, come on. That's a, I told you that was that kind of church. Right on. Uh, cool. Well, welcome to Vertical Church. We're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, like Dan said, man, we're just uh, we're just pumped that you decided to join us. Uh, we're in week three of a series called Man versus uh, Wife. I had to think about it. I'm getting better. Um, I'm going to remember finally, eventually, that it's wife and not wild. Although somebody last week said we should have named it wild because we're crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever. Uh, real quick, before we get started, uh, did you know that Easter is 36 days away, 35 if you don't count today. That's awesome. Now, we love Easter. If you're not like, uh, if you haven't been with us that long, uh, we absolutely love Easter. We, we think Easter and Christmas are the two uh, uh, greatest worship experiences of the year. Uh, because we're celebrating, at Christmas, of course, we're celebrating uh, Jesus coming to the world. And at Easter, we're celebrating not only that Jesus died for us, because that's really cool. You know, he, it's cool that he died for us. But if he, if he didn't raise from the dead, then his death doesn't mean much. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if he doesn't, Scripture talks about that, that if, if he's not resurrected, then our faith is in vain and it's meaningless. Because, um, you know, big deal, big whoop-de-doo, some dude died couple thousand years ago not a big deal but the fact that he died and he came back to life that's incredible and we celebrate that on easter let me ask you to or let me ask you to do us a favor um i know this sounds this may sound really shallow and kind of vain not me personally uh our our easter attendance record is 247 people uh, what that means is at Vertical Church that the most we've ever had on Easter Sunday is 247 people. You know what would be awesome? If we, like, broke that. And all we need is 248. Like, it doesn't have to be 500 people on Easter. I just, 248 people. That would be incredible, right? It takes two things to do that. Number one, you got to bring people. <laughs> we got to invite. We got to bring. We got to say, hey, you going to church Easter? No, you got to come with me. Uh, so over the next five weeks, I think we got five weeks until Easter, we're going to be giving you invite cards to invite people. We're going to be uh, kind of giving you air support, if you will, since we live in kind of a defense DOD community. Uh, we're going to provide air support with, with different kinds of uh, ads and marketing and Facebook things. A lot of people are here because they saw a Facebook ad, which we'll do that over Easter and uh, leading up to that. And and uh, we'll be sending people stuff, some stuff in the mail and all that. But, but beyond any of that, any of those techniques, the number one way to reach people is when one person invites another person. Uh, when we invest relationally and we invite directly. Those of you who are signed up for ownership class today, you're going to be hearing those words exactly uh, because that's what we talk about. When we talk about a church that we see as a growing church, we're talking about a church that invests relationally and invites directly. Not like, yeah, they'll just figure it out. No, no, no. Invite directly. Yes, our lives are a light and we shine it out for everybody to see and hopefully eventually somebody's going to say, hey, uh, Tell you do something on Sunday. Don't you tell me about it, right? That happens occasionally, but you know what happens more often? Hey, what are you doing on Sunday? Why don't you come with me 
to church. It's really awesome. The people are great. You'll be welcomed. You don't have to dress up. It's really cool. Uh, so our attendance record is 247, and it would be awesome. Like, we should have a huge celebration and party uh, when, when we break that. Not if we break that, but when we break that. Because you're going to bring people. Oh, the number two thing. you got to be here. <laughs> like, if you have a plan to skip town for Easter weekend, cancel it. Can yeah, cancel your plans. You need to be here. Plus, if you got a kid, you already have to go to school on Friday. Because I saw it in Chesapeake, and I think Virginia Beach, they're like, you have to go to school on Good Friday, so you're already going to be in school, so just stick over. Leave at 12.01 on Sunday for going out of town. you got all spring break to, to get out. So anyway, here we go. Did, were you online on Thursday? On Thursday or Friday, were you online? Were you on Facebook? Did you see that the Internet broke? There was a picture, y'all, that broke the Internet. Literally. I, I saw like one person posted Thursday at 7-ish p.m. And uh, before I knew it, not only was my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, my Instagram, everything was full. They were talking about it on SportsCenter. Um, it was crazy. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Um, did you see this picture? Did you see that picture? What color is this dress? Shut up. This thing went crazy, man. Like, in a matter of hours, this picture, like, exploded. And uh, it was all about whether you see blue and black or if you see white and gold. And I thought it'd be kind of funny, so I, I took the picture and, uh, and posted on Instagram that I was going to answer the question this morning. I was going to reveal the true color of the dress. But the makers already did that. Uh, it's, it's Evidently, it's blue and black. Now... Um, those of you who saw it and are married, okay, you're married and both of you saw it. Did you see the same thing or did you see different things? Okay, let's do this. Raise your hand if you and your spouse saw different colors. Whoa, right? Now, I am incredibly blessed. I'm not going to lie. I saw white and gold. I'm not, I'm not going to act like I saw blue and black and somehow my eyes are whatever they're supposed to be. I saw white and gold. I still see white and gold, although with the lighting here and stuff, I can see a little bit of blue and black. But um, I, when I looked at it, I saw white and gold. Um, and, and I'm blessed because my wife saw white and gold, um, which means we saw the same thing, which should tell you that we didn't have an argument over it. <laughs> How many of you that raised your hands, you and your, your spouse, like maybe you weren't like knocked down, drag out, you know, fisticuff argument, but you kind of argued a little bit. It's okay. Raise your hand. You argued a little bit over, oh, it's white and gold. No, it's blue and black. I'm telling you, it's white and gold. Anybody? A few arguments. A couple people in the hands. Yeah, people are being honest. Uh, other people need to pray after service is over because uh, you're not being honest. Because here's how I'm blessed. If I would have seen something different than my wife, my personality is such that I would not stop until I convinced her that I was right. <laughs> because it has to be whatever I saw because that's just, it's just who I am, you know? Uh, and it turns out this, this was some kind of visual anomaly, it had something to do with rods and cones in your eyes and dim lighting and this and that. And I, didn't, I don't understand it all, but it turns out it's, it's blue and black. So there you go. Uh, that's the true color, but I still say it's white and gold. I think there's multiple pictures. That's what I think. I, I'm not really, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, anyway, 
Uh, a couple years ago, we did a message series uh, called Unhappily Ever After. And we were working through the Song of Solomon, or Song of Psalms, depending on what you want to call it. And I preached a sermon uh, where I broke out some awkward glasses. Uh, they were the, the kind of uh, shutter shades back in the 80s. And, and I said, you know, when we talk about sex and when we talk about this and that, um, if you get uncomfortable, then you just grab your awkward glasses and put them on. And nobody has to look at you eyeball to eyeball. And uh, you don't have to look at anybody eyeball to eyeball. Well, this week, I also posted, I said, man, this Sunday is going to be so awkward, you might want to bring your awkward glasses. And some of you, maybe you have awkward glasses with you. You may want to go ahead and put them on. But here's the catch. We're not talking about sex. It's even more awkward. Well, what I'm going to suggest for you to do today is so awkward, it trumps any kind of sex talk. It is just incredibly weird and awkward. And I need you to know something. I would feel the same way if I was sitting there and somebody else was here about to say what I'm going to say. I would want to put my awkward glasses on because I would find it incredibly awkward. Ooh, gosh, that makes me uncomfortable. I can't, I don't know about that, Pastor. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. So uh, especially the men. Uh, men in our culture, you're probably going to get more weirded out by what I'm going to suggest for you to do today uh, because... Because men are interesting, right? We're, we're not that complex, but, but, but here's why we find it awkward. I want to I give you four reasons why I think most men in the room is going to find it awkward. Number one is that uh, men don't like to be wrong. <laughs> we don't like to be wrong, right? Ladies, you can testify to this. Men typically don't like to be wrong. Number two, not only do we not like to be wrong, but we don't like to be told what to do. Like, just step off, you know? Back up. Hold on a second. Don't, 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 don't be telling me what to do. And, and on top of this, number three, not only do we not want to be told what to do, but we don't want another man telling us how to run our relationships. Now, listen here, Pastor. I'll listen to you for spiritual advice, but listen, you sticking your nose in. I know what I'm doing. I'm a man. I could take care of business, you know. So we don't want another man telling us how to run our relationships. That's why it might be a little awkward. Number four, on top of that, even if there is a good idea, we really just want our wives to think that all the great ideas that we have are our ideas. Now, ladies, you know that none of these are true. You know that, in fact, uh, here, here's what the ladies already know about us men. I'm just going to clue us all in. Number one, they already know that we are wrong most of the time. <laughs> We're wrong most of the time. Number two, they, they, they also know that we desperately need to be told what to do. <laughs> that that is, a, that is a craving need. We're, we're just stumbling through our life, and we need to be told what to do. If you go out of town, we will not leave the living room. We'll sleep on the couch, and the TV will never go off because we need to be told what to do. Number three, here's what the ladies know about men. We wouldn't need a man to tell us how to run our relationships if we just listen to our wives, because <laughs> they're already telling us. And, uh, and number four, um, we, we want uh, our wives to think we have all the good ideas. Here's what our wives know. Our wives know that our greatest ideas were their ideas, that they let us think were actually our ideas. So every good idea that we have, fellas, it just comes from them. So um, yeah, so if I told you that there was one thing, one thing that you could do, one habit that you could do in your marriage, and if you did it, just this one thing, it would literally change everything about your relationship. 
Let me ask you a question. Would you do it? One thing. I'm not talking about a list of things. I'm not talking about five things. I'm not talking about one thing and three points. I'm talking about one thing. If I said there's one thing, and if you do this together consistently, it will nearly make your marriage divorce-proof. Would you do it? How, how many would do it? Yeah, I would do it. It, it. it would take my marriage completely, it would take divorce completely off the radar if I did this one thing. Before I even tell you, and then you can decide later, but if I just said that much, well, would you do it? Raise your hand. Would you do it? Would you do it? Yeah, most of us would do it because it's, it's simple. Like, like, I don't want to end up like 50% of the people that get married. I want, my, I want my marriage to go the distance, so I will do the one thing. Now, before we get to that one thing, let me give you a little bit of context about how we understand husband and wife relationships. Around here at, at, at Vertical Church, we talk a lot about this idea of mutual submission in marriage, mutual submission in marriage. A couple, uh, a few months ago, back in the summer, we did a whole series on the book of Ephesians where we talked about this one week uh, from Ephesians chapter 5, the last part of Ephesians chapter 5. If you didn't, weren't here, go back online, check it out. I'm barely going to touch on this because uh, I want to get to the one thing, but what mutual submission means is it's basically this attitude that says, I'm here for you, you're here for me, we defer to each other's desires, to each other's wishes. I'm not entering into the marriage with a me-first attitude. I'm entering into it with a you-first attitude. That's what mutual submission means. It's, it is the most powerful dynamic in a husband and wife relationship that there is, that exists, period. And here's the really cool thing. We didn't come up with this. This isn't something that like, like I dreamed up in my office one day and said, hey, this would be a really great idea if we acted this way. No, no, no. no. Jesus models for us what it looks like to, to, to submit. Jesus, Jesus shows this in that he submits to his father. But not only does Jesus show this, early Christian leaders wrote about this. There was a guy named Paul. He was, a, he was an early leader in the church. He, was, uh, he, he wrote a, a bunch of letters, and they got put in the Bible, and, and many of them are in, in the New Testament. You can read them. Most of them are like, I, Paul. That's how they start out. Anyway, in Ephesians chapter 5, like I said, barely kind of skirt this, but I want to start here. Uh, he says this really interesting thing. He starts this, this whole subject of what husbands and wives look like in relationship with this verse. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's setting up how a, how a Christian marriage works, and right out of the gate, he says, here's what you got to know. Submit one to another, to, to each other, back and forth, out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. Not everybody. Wives, you don't submit yourselves to, to everybody in, in this context. He's talking about this relationship. You know, uh, we, we serve each other, yes, but, but, but specifically he's going to draw the, the kind of focus in on this relationship. And he says, submit to one another, me to my wife and her to me. Now, why do we do this? It, do, do I submit myself to hope because she's so awesome? <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> that's not what Paul's talking about. She is awesome, but that's not why I do that. Does she submit herself to me because I'm just a great husband? No. No, no. Look at what Paul says. He says, submit to one another out 
Of what? Reverence for who? For me? No, not me. I'm not that good. To, to the wife? No, she's not that good. Out of reverence for Christ. Here's what that means. Here's what Paul is saying. In, in, in light of your love and devotion and in light of, of Jesus and everything that he has done in you and everything that he has done for you, all of the gratitude, all of the, all of the passion, all of the compassion, all of the love that you feel towards God, Paul says, I want you to take that and I want you to shower it on your spouse. Why? Because they're great? No, no, no. Has no, it has nothing to do with them. It's because you love Jesus. See, this is not a, this is not a, a spouse issue. This is a me and Jesus issue. I submit, not because they're awesome, I submit out of reverence for Jesus. But you don't know my spouse. I don't have to know your spouse. Because he doesn't talk about your spouse. He says submit, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is a Jesus thing. Take all of the love and passion I feel towards him and shower that upon her or upon him. Then he starts making some application to, to husbands and wives specifically. And this is going to be awesome. Some of y'all are going to uh, not like me after I say this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Look at, look at this. What does this look like for wives? Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, husbands love this verse. Some of you fellas, you can't quote a single verse in the Bible, but you can quote this one. Hey, listen, a Bible you read all the time says the wives are supposed to submit themselves to their husbands. Listen, I know that most guys do not excel in language arts. We are not oftentimes wordsmiths. Let me ask you a question. When Paul writes, wives... Submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Who is he talking to? Who's he talking to? Wives. Let me tell you, dude. He's not talking to you. He's not talking to you in this verse. Mind your own business. That's what, that's what he's saying. He says, okay, hold on. Let me talk to the wives for a second. Fellas, you go do something else. Listen. Submit yourself to your husband. Out of, out, of, out of reverence. But as you submit yourself to your Lord, submit. didn't he already say that? Didn't he already say submit yourself one to another out of reverence for Christ? So he's just repeating it to the wives. Listen, wives. Husbands, you go over there, play football or something. I'm talking to them for a second. Listen, dude, you throw this little dark verse at your wife, you're not, you're not reading scripture correctly. This is not written to you. This is written to her. This is a she and Jesus thing. It's not about you. It didn't have anything to do with you. You just happen to be the, the direct object in the sentence. You just happen to be the one on the receiving end. This is about her and Jesus. Now, now, before we kind of blow up there, look at this. He talks to the husbands too. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, just a couple lines down. He says, husbands love your wives. Just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, wives love this verse. You need to love me. Jesus died. Would you die for me? Push you in front of a car right now. Listen, listen, ladies, ladies, ladies. This isn't written to you. This isn't about you. This is about your husband. 
He, Paul came over and talked to the, to the wives for a second. Now he's like, all right, y'all go hang out, do whatever you want to do. Now, fellas, come here. Listen, love your wives. Just like Jesus loved the church. And you know what he did? He laid down his life for it. He submitted his life to death on their behalf. You go do the same thing. Isn't that that sound exactly like what he already said to everybody? Submit yourselves one to another. So so what Paul has done, he's just made specific application to submit one to another or to one another out of reverence for Christ. All the love that you feel towards Jesus, pour that on your spouse. Now, let me illustrate this idea. I wish, this is the point I wish I had this huge felt board. You know, like back in Sunday school days where you like have felt board and there's felt images of Jesus. And I have a big Jesus and it'd be cool. But I don't have a felt board, so the screen's going to have to do. Let me show you this kind of diagram of what this looks like. Um, at the top, we've got God, right? I mean, God is, 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 is highest. God is, is above all things. God is, is the one we are in ultimate submission to. And so you've got God and then you've got husband and wife, both submitting to God. That's what the arrows mean. They're submitting to God. Now, God is not submitting to us. We're submitting to God. You say, well, Jesus laid it down. Yeah, it's a diagram. Just work with me, okay? Um, And then the husbands and wives are submitting to each other. So this is kind of the picture of, of of a Christian, healthy marriage. Now, does it, does it have bumps in the road? Of course it has bumps in the road. We're human. We, 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 we totally blow it. We, we, we get prideful and arrogant and we totally break this idea. But this is what Paul's talking about. This is how we live. What that means is that I know as the husband that my wife's ultimate submission is to God, meaning she will always be more committed to God than she is me. I am not the center of her world. He is. I would I would be crushed under the weight of being the center of her world, being the one that she built her life upon. That would kill me. And vice versa. If she put me in the center of her life and built her life on me, I would crush her. Only Jesus can be your foundation. Only Jesus can be the ultimate submission. Only God can can be that in our lives. And so that's what marriage supposed to look like. Now, here's the thing. This requires huge amounts of humility. To live this way requires, requires massive, massive doses of humility, of being humble. To live in mutual submission requires that we are humble. And here's the thing about humility. Humility doesn't come natural. You know what comes natural? Pride. (laughs) Me first comes natural. Me first, I, me, myself, and I, I am number one. And so there is this part of us, there's this thing inside of us that makes it really difficult to live this way, to submit, to defer to another person. Now, let me share one more scripture with you before I tell you the one thing 
that can totally transform your marriage. James chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 18. Let's take a look at this. Uh, if you have a Bible, it, you, you want to start at the table of contents because you're probably not going to find James. Uh, it's near the end. Uh, it's near the end. Go to Revelation, the very back, and just start going backwards till you find it. Uh, or start at the table of contents, and it'll tell you the page number. Uh, or if you have it on your phone, you can look it up that way too. Uh, if you're not like a real Bible person, a uh, really interesting thing about James, James is the brother of Jesus. And, and so he actually wrote a letter. So if you ever wondered what the brother of Jesus thought, just read James. Take you like 15 or 20 minutes. It's kind of short. All right, verse 13. Look at this. Let's just take it verse at a time. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit. James says that you show that you are wise by being humble. And you become humble by being wise. Now, if that sounds like some kind of weird cycle of humility and wisdom, then you're right, it is. You, James says, look, here, here's what you gotta understand. Um, wisdom leads to humility, which leads to greater wisdom. But the only way to get wisdom is to be humble. Now, here's what it means to be humble. Uh, we could, this is not like a Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition. This is, Pastor Josh, what does it mean to be humble? Humble means I don't know everything. I don't know everything. And because I don't know everything, I'm open to learning something new. That's what it looks like to be humble. I'm not full of myself. I'm not arrogant. You know, only an arrogant person thinks they know everything. If you've never met an arrogant person, just find a teenager because they know everything and you know they know everything because they tell you they know everything all the time. And that's what, look, look, and, and some of y'all are like, what? Listen, that's what he says in verse 14, verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Here's what he says. He says, you can tell that people are arrogant and prideful because they shoot their mouths off all the time. You can tell when someone's arrogant because they constantly tell you how great they are, how much they know, how smart and intellectual they are, how wise they are. Look, if you're arrogant, we already know it. <laughs> you don't have to hide it because you tell us all the time. That's what James is saying, not me. Um, now, I know this is to be true because I struggle with this. This is one of the things that I struggle with because, because I have this, this need to be right. <laughs> and I will fight with everything in me to prove my rightness. Either, either I will convince you of changing your opinion or I will exhaust you. Either way, I'm going to win. This is uh, it's something I'm struggling with. I'm praying for it. You pray for me uh, and, and hopefully Jesus will change me. Verse 15, look what he says. This this hurts, especially for me. Look at this, verse 15. Such wisdom, wisdom, it's not really wisdom, it's what he's going to say. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual. And then look at this, man. As my pastor in West Virginia used to say, amen or ouch, either way, you got to respond. Demonic. James just said that pride and arrogance demonic. Always thinking that you're right and you have nothing new to learn. 
does not come from heaven. It comes from the other place. That's what James says. He goes on. He says, he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. Let me ask you a question. Is there disorder in your marriage? If there is, maybe you need to look around. Maybe you'll find some envy, some, some selfish ambition, maybe. Maybe some pride. It's what he says. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. Verse 17, he, he takes a turn and he starts being a little bit more encouraging. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, and look at this. Doesn't this sound like the kind of person you want to be? the kind of relationship you want with your spouse. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate. You know what considerate means? It means I defer to you. It means when you're in an argument, you, you don't, you're not like all puffed up thinking I don't have anything new to learn. I'm right and there's no possible way that I'm wrong. Considerate says, you know, I don't think so, but I'll consider it. <laughs> consider it, you know. Uh, that's how you remember what considerate means. It means I'll consider it. I will actually, I, I am not convinced that I am always right. So I will consider it. I may have something to learn here. He says, he says, the wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate. He says it's submissive. There's our word again. It's submissive. It's full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Man, I mean, those are things that, aren't those things that every one of us wants uh, in our marriage, isn't that like if someone was going to write a description of your of your love for your spouse, wouldn't that be a great one? Look what he says. And it's not that this doesn't come without reward. Look what he says in verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. You want your marriage to be right? Do you want your marriage to be right and good? James said, sow this kind of attitude. Sow this kind of wisdom and you'll reap a right relationships. Now we could keep going in James. First, chapter 4, man, chapter 4 is awesome. And it talks about submission. It talks about pride and humility. But we don't have time for that. Uh, so James says there, there's this humility that comes from heaven. And, and, and the only way you can have that humility is when you live like you don't know everything. When you live with this attitude that, that I have something to learn. Now specifically for marriage, here's what that looks like. It looks like when I'm wrong, I admit it. I admit it. I know what it's like to be wrong and not want to admit it because you don't want to lose. But, but humility says when I'm wrong, I admit it. I admit I'm wrong. When I'm confronted about being wrong, I consider it. You know what? You might be right. I don't know everything. I have all kinds of, of, of stuff to learn, and so I'll, I'll consider it. And then when God shows me that I'm wrong, yeah, okay, I'll consider it. Lord, you know, is this true about me? Do I really have this in my heart? What's going on? And God says, yeah, you do. Let me show you. I embrace it. I embrace it. And that's how we're humble. Now, back to the diagram that we showed before with God, the husband, and the wife. Now, when I live this way, and my spouse lives this way, when we both live this way towards God and towards each other, something incredibly powerful happens. Now, 
I want to share with you the one thing that if you do this one thing, it will completely transform your marriage, completely, totally change everything about the relationship. Because this one thing, I can't think of another habit that we could develop that goes and gets at the heart of this idea of this kind of relationship. If you do this one thing, it will almost instantly surface any pride or arrogance that you have in your heart. If you do this, it will position you and your spouse to live in mutual submission to each other and ultimate submission to God. So you want to know what it is? Here you go. This is the one thing, this is the most awkward thing I could ever ask you to do. Here it is. Pray together out loud on a regular basis. That's it. That's the one thing I'm asking you to do. I know it's super awkward. I know right now that you got like, ooh, that makes me feel weird. I don't know about praying together out loud. Oh, oh. Listen, it will totally transform your relationship. And it will almost guarantee that your, that, that your relationship doesn't end up in divorce. Pray together out loud on a regular basis. That's it? Yeah, that's it. Well, okay, we do that every time we get together for dinner. Well, you know, God is great, God is good. <laughs> day by day, by day, by day, these three words I pray. I'm talking about that. That's good, do that, that's awesome. But, but what I'm talking about is, is just you and your spouse looking at each other, saying, hey, let's pray together out loud on a regular basis. Pastor Josh, that's so weird. It's awkward. I know. Listen, if I was sitting there, I would feel awkward too. I feel awkward, dude. I'm a pastor. I get, I, I get paid to pray. <laughs> and this is awkward. It might be the most awkward thing I've ever asked you to do. But let me share with you this week what I discovered. As I was like researching this, uh, there's a, there's a, we have a group of people that meet together before service and we pray. And, uh, and one of these ladies told me a story about what happened to her this week. And I thought, that's really interesting. So I dove into it. And, and you know that the success rate for marriages in America is about 50-50, right? Like Christian, non-Christian, Jesus following non -Christian. everybody in the country, it's about 50-50. Now, let me share. I told you one thing, completely transform everything, take divorce right off the table. According to a, a Gallup poll, and it was in association with the National Association of Marriage Enhancement, if you add one filter, one filter and one filter only, couples who pray together regularly out loud, the divorce rate goes from 50-50, one in two, to look at this, one in 1,152. That's less than 1%. will completely change everything about your marriage. We'll nearly make it divorce-proof. What? Pray together, out loud, on a regular basis. Now, it seems like Christians should already know this, but according to the Family Life Survey, only 8% of Christian couples pray together regularly, out loud, which means 92% don't pray together out loud on a regular basis. Now, this disparity, this, this, this whoa, is so huge that even Dr. Phil talked about it. You know Dr. Phil, bald guy, mustache? 
TV. He taught, this is not like some kind of pastor, some kind of Christian theologian. Dr. Phil, and I want to share, he, he talked about this in a book called Relationship Rescue. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. Look at what he says. He says, an interesting statistic reflects that the divorce rate in America is at a minimum one out of two marriages, which we already know that. It's kind of common knowledge. He goes on, he says, but the reported divorce rate among couples that pray together is about one in 10,000. Now, his number, I don't know where he got it from, but we said one in 1,152. But look what he says next. This is the part I wanted you to see. Dr. Phil, okay, pretty impressive, even if you reduce it, a thousand fold. What does that mean? 10,000, take the thousand out. Even if praying together increased the, the, the likelihood that your marriage is successful from one in two to one in 10, if it took it from 50% chance to a 90% chance, wouldn't it be worth doing? Wouldn't it be worth pushing through the awkwardness for our marriage? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You know, sometimes when like churches do marriage talks and series and stuff, like the pastor wants to get real kind of creepy, really is what it is, but uh, they want to get real edgy. And so they'll have like, I'm going to initiate a sex pyramid, man, where, where you go and have sex with your wife or husband every day for the next seven days. And it's going to radically try. Okay, I'm not going to encourage you to do a sex pyramid. That's not what today's about. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. An ex prayerament. Yeah, that's the kind of church we are. An ex prayerament. What's an ex prayerament? Today is March 1st. I want to challenge you to pray together out loud on a regular basis for the month of March. That's it. One month. Pray together out loud on a regular basis. What is a regular basis? Try daily. Try daily. If you miss a day, don't sweat it, don't like stress out, but try to do it daily. What if my husband's deployed? What if my wife is deployed? Okay, I get it. It happens. We live in an area where all kinds of people are deployed. You, you get some kind of time in some kind of fashion. So do this. Commit to pray for each other every day, whether you talk or not. I'm going to pray for you. You're going to pray for me. And then whenever we do get a talk, whenever we do get an email, whenever we get a send, a, send each other something, include a prayer. We only get five minutes of talking. Okay, take 30 seconds. Lord, I pray for my uh, wife right now. I pray, God, that she would just be uh, have a great day and be blessed and, and grow in love for you. Amen. You know, is, is that, that short? Absolutely. Just, just take a step. What if, what if they're out of town? What if they work out of town? And what if they, okay, do you talk? <laughs> do you call each other on the phone? Hey, you know, before we go to bed, call. bring. Hey, we're praying together out loud on a regular basis, so I called you. I want to pray for you, and you pray for me. We'll pray for each other out loud on a regular basis. And if that makes you uncomfortable, I want you to know something. I understand. I get it. It makes me uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. Probably more uncomfortable than if we said, you know, talk about sex with your spouse. Like, get into details and stuff. It's even weirder than that. So I want to give you a few tips before we wrap up. Number one, short and awkward is better than long and flawless. What does that mean? That means that many of us, the only time we hear somebody praying out loud is at church. 
and we stand up here and we pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, who reigns in the highest heights of heaven, let your glory fall from... You don't have to pray like that. <laughs> Matter of fact, don't pray like that because that would be weird um, if you're like standing in front of your spouse. You don't, don't, you don't have to pray that way. Short and awkward is better than long and flawless, which means, fellas, grab her hand. Before you go to bed, grab her hand. Her hand. Grab her hand. Say, come on, honey, we're going to pray. And then you just say, God, I'm praying out loud. It's really weird. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. Can, is that, does that count? Yeah, it counts. Just start somewhere. Pastor Josh, you don't understand. Prayer is, is intimate. And I have my little prayer room with my little prayer journal. And it's so private. I get it. I get it. Grab his hand. Honey, we're going to pray. God, I'm trying this praying thing out loud. Help us sleep good tonight and have great dreams. Amen. Just take a step. That's, that's all I'm asking you to do is to take a step. Number two, second tip. Pray with each other not at each other. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray for Sarah right now. I pray she'd do a better job with the kids because they're really ornery. And, and Lord, I forgive her for what she said to me, to her mama on the phone, how she said I was mean and obnoxious. That's praying at each other. Don't do that. It's not helpful. Pray with each other, not at each other. Number three, and, and listen to me, this will change your family. Pray with your children. If you have kids, pray with your kids. But not just pray with your kids. So many of us already do that. Bedtime prayers, nighttime prayers, that's awesome. Pray together for your children. Grab your spouse, grab her by the hand, grab her by the hand, and let's pray for the kids. Lord, let me just pray for our kids tonight. Help them to grow up strong and wise. Help us to be good parents in Jesus' name. Amen. Does that count? Yeah, it counts absolutely counts it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be formal it doesn't have to be scheduled unless that's your thing like every night at 7.30 we're praying together put it on your calendar if that's you that's cool do that but it doesn't have to be that all I'm asking is just start somewhere pray out loud pray together out loud on a regular basis and if there's something inside of you that just says, no, I'm not going to do that. All right. You don't have to. But would you at least figure out what that is? If you don't want to do it, if you're like, I'm not going to do it. I don't care what the statistic says. I don't care how much it's going to help. I'm not going to do it. Fair enough. But don't you think you owe it to yourself to figure out where that resistance comes from? Why you feel so strongly that way? Lord, why is it that I'm willing to share everything else in my life with this person except this? Just find out. Why are you uncomfortable? Why is it awkward? Last thing. And I thought about, should I tell you this? Should I not tell you this? But you're mature people, so see how it goes. Prayer is intimate. Prayer is intimate between you and God. So this is not a promise. This is not a guarantee. But, but don't be surprised. As, as, as you develop greater spiritual intimacy, if it doesn't enhance your physical intimacy. 
don't be shocked. Now, this isn't a bribe. Like some fellas are like, shoot, we'll pray all the time. Come on, honey, let's pray right now. I'm ready to pray. Come on, heck yeah. Come on. Whoa. Feel it spiritual. It's not a bribe. I'm just saying, don't be surprised. Because the Bible, listen, listen, the Bible talks about in, 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 in marriage relationships, we'll talk about physical intimacy and spiritual intimacy with interchangeable terms. So as your spiritual intimacy increases, don't be surprised if your physical intimacy doesn't go up as well. So pray together out loud on a regular basis for the month of March and experiment. So let me pray for you, but not the way you'll pray with each other. Let me pray for you. Lord, we... uh, We come in here, Lord, some of us are married, some of us are not, some of us are single, some of us are divorced, some of us are widowed, some of us don't want anything to do uh, with a relationship, and some of us are longing to find that companionship again. We come here, God, all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different uh, feelings and, and, and emotions. My prayer, God, is that that, that our prayer life, wherever we're at on that spectrum, our prayer life would increase. And if we're married, that our prayer life would reach out and grab our spouse. And we would pray together out loud on a regular basis. Lord, help us push through the awkwardness. Help us to push through the the. the weirdness of that and and God sometimes it's going to feel like we don't know the words to say and we're going to stumble and we're going to we're going to get get twisted around and, and we're going to feel like we're not doing it right but but would you just encourage us to take a step take a step now as we sit here auditorium today Maybe for you, praying is awkward, not because you're nervous about who you're praying in front of, but maybe it's awkward for you because you're not, you're not confident in your relationship with Jesus. There's all sorts of reasons for that. But I want to tell you something today. You don't have to be like that. You don't have to have an uncertainty. You don't have to feel awkward in front of Jesus. You can nail that down today simple as praying a prayer that that has been repeated hundreds and thousands of times, millions of times all over our world throughout history. Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Give me a brand new start today. And if today you need to you need to nail down your relationship with him. You need to, you need to, 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 to get that kind of assurance that you've been longing for. If you pray that, if you invite Jesus into your life, if you say, Jesus, I, I want you to come in. I, I admit that, 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 that I am separated because of, of, of sin and, and, and choices in my life, but I believe that you are the Savior, that you raised, you, you were raised from the grave and, and that, that you are reigning and that, and that, the center of my life. If you pray that, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to question. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that 
you and Jesus are good. So let me encourage you. Maybe that's the first prayer you need to pray. It's a prayer to invite Jesus in. Maybe your first prayer needs to invite Jesus into your marriage. Maybe you didn't start off that way. And you just need to invite him into your home. Jesus, come into our home. Let our house be built upon the foundation of Christ. Let our marriage be built upon you. Maybe that's your first prayer. Whatever it is, to take that step. Lord, we love you today. Give us the confidence to go forward and to take this step of faith. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.